Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Today my guest is Yasmin Williams. Hi Yas, how's things? Hi, alright Kieran, thanks for having me. I'm okay. Hope you're alright as well. Lockdown going okay? Getting there? Lockdown, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, um, it's happening, days are going by. It feels like it's been forever, but also no time at all. Yeah. Um, but we're getting through it. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Just time doesn't really exist anymore. Absolutely well, not. <laughs> we, do you remember weekends? Do you remember what weekends um, used to be like? <laughs> no, I've completely forgotten. And you know, I feel like every day is a combination of Sunday and Monday, which is weird because they're very different days, but it just feels like it's Sunday yeah. and everything chill, but also it's Monday and you've got to go and you've got to mm. like, do things, <laughs> you know? And, and interesting fact about both that we found out recently that we are kind of loosely related. Like, are we related? Are we not related? Yeah, that's it's... a fun fact. I know. I forgot what the exact connection is, but we may it's just... My... I don't know. It's my auntie was married to, used to be married to, oh, what was his name? We knew this, we found this, it's a really loose connection yes. somewhere. But it's loose enough for us to claim yeah. that we were... To my granddad's brother, I think. Yeah. Yeah, is it, was my auntie married to your granddad's brother? Yeah, I think that's what it is. See, I reckon, <laughs> I reckon that counts. I reckon that counts. That counts, yeah. <laughs> We're basically cousins. So I want to start where I kind of always start with these. And I wanted to ask you, how did you first get interested in theatre and the arts and stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, that's, um, it's difficult to sort of know. I, I always did dance from a very young age I really enjoyed dancing and doing shows and I had a really excellent drama teacher in school in Mm. Sandfieldscom her name's Helen John and I think I think that's very common I often talk to people who just had really inspirational teachers in secondary school and um, yeah I just really enjoyed drama and I always did the after school club and mm. the productions and things and um it's funny because i wasn't going to take drama at a level i was going right. to do dance instead and then um i got my gcse results and i had done well in drama and i thought oh if i've done well i can allow myself to do it you know i can i can allow myself did but it almost like, feel as like a luxury like allowing yourself to do yeah yeah, yeah it gave me permission it gave me the validation i <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I did a, a really strange combination of A levels because I did A level biology, A level chemistry, and then I did A level drama and A level music. Um, so I w- yeah, I was very torn. I ended up going to Neath College, but I also had applied to do the BTEC at Corsina. Mm. And it was, it, it was time to enroll, and my mum said, okay, which way are we driving? And I said, let's just go to Neath. <laughs> So, yeah. Did, did Zoe Arietta teach you in this? Yes. Oh, so yeah, yeah. I, I like Zoe, but I know lots of people didn't. She, she divided <laughs> yeah, like people. 
So when when did you kind of think I want to be an actor? This is what I want to do with my life. Yeah, it's just one of those things that it feels like it's something I've always known. But I think it's when I really got got into it um, in like year ten and eleven in school, um, and. My teacher was really good at um, getting us to create and devise the work as well. Mm -hmm. And I think I just realized that it was the best way for me to express. Like, I didn't find that I could express myself in everyday life anywhere near as well or in any other sort of means. Um, and I realized that if I was passionate about something, the most like satisfied I would be in expressing yeah. my feelings about it would be when I would perform mm. um, and performing in place that like really spoke to me I think I started realizing that when when I took drama at GCSE level and I do owe a lot of that to my teacher as well um, and then like I said I tried to pretend that I might be able to go into some sort of um, science related job for a further two years what was but the more was there an element of kind of not seeing it as a proper job in quotation oh, marks? Yeah, 100%. Were, yes. um, were your parents like supportive of you wanting to be an actor? Uh, yeah, yeah, 100%. My family are really supportive and they would have supported me whichever um, way that I went. But um, there's a certain level of guilt with kind of thinking I probably at the time I know this isn't true now but at the time I thought I'd have been capable of pursuing a more normal career like I thought right. that was something that I could do because I you know I was quite good at science in school and I thought perhaps you know I was just gonna live out the drama for a bit longer just to keep me happy and then go off to university and I don't know train to be a teacher or I don't know um, but like the more the time went on the more I realized it was just impossible like that there wasn't anything else um, yeah but I did feel a sort of pressure no one else put the pressure on me I, I put the pressure on me to put it off <laughs> <laughs> and you decided to go to Trinity for uni yeah um, what was your experience at Trinity like Oh my gosh, I mean, it's such an important time of anyone's life going off to university and um, I was a very different person coming out of my first year <laughs> as I was like going into my first mm -hmm. year. I think I didn't, I don't know, I think I kind of went into it thinking that it, I would be the same person coming out and then just even after one year of the training there, I just realized that there's so much to learn about and there's so much to explore and I was kind of like, I don't know what on earth I want to do, mm. you know, because it, it really broadened my, just my ideas of what my life could be like. Um, and we had some really excellent directors throughout the time that we were there. And yeah, it just, it confirmed for me that um, this is what I need to be doing. Did you kind of go in there? with one idea of what uh, an actor is and um, did you oh, kind yeah. of, did that change and did kind of more possibilities in terms of a creative career as an actor open up through doing that course? Oh yeah, so much so. I think <clears throat> going, going into university I was um, only ever exposed, like before I went to, I was only ever exposed to sort of a standard way of working where mm. the script is done and you learn the words and you do the Stanislavski methods and it's very um, like a classic play, like a drama. Mm. And I just kind of thought that I really loved that and that was my favorite thing. Uh, like I didn't think that I liked devising and creating because um, it used to make me so anxious. I would rather have the words and um, yeah. something 
to go off and something to manifest. Um, and then I went to university and it, it all completely changed and got turned on its head. So we had um, one module with uh, Shane Nichols in our second year, which was in absurd and symbolism. It's mm -hmm. the absurd and symbolism. And we had to um, create a performance of our tools, The Spirit of Blood. I don't know if you've ever I don't know. It. No, I don't know. Oh, okay. I'll have to send you the link. You can find it online. It's only a couple of pages, but it's absolute madness. Like, <laughs> I'll give not, it a read, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's not a play that you can look at and you can put on because there are things like, well, I can't remember, a giant hand comes down from the sky and there are cockroaches and scorpions right. and... Just lots of madness happens on the stage, so we just kind of had to put on what we think is that play in a group, you know? So it's all entirely... about the interpretation rather than what you actually read. Exactly, so we weren't literally doing the play, um, mm. and I was in a group with two other people, and we just made this piece that was obviously bonkers, but it was the like the most fun that I had ever had at that point in making a project where we just had complete freedom to interpret the script however we wanted um, and it wasn't and we didn't use the words of the script in a normal way either it was kind of like we did a, there was a lot of movement and noises but we also because the three of us had different um, came from different places we used different languages like I spoke some of the lines in Welsh and um, yeah it was just cool. it was absolutely bonkers in comparison to anything I've ever done and I was like actually maybe this is for me <laughs> you know and, and did you find then you like the collaborative aspect of theatre making and working communally with other people yeah. Yeah, so much. Um, it was great with that um, module in particular because Shane, um, it was it was our project and we sort of self-directed it and we came up with everything. He's a really good facilitator in terms yeah. of coming in and just giving us that like shape and like the outside perspective. So it really felt like we had agency over the um, over the performance and. It was a collaboration that I'd never experienced before, like just a completely different way of tuning in with other people. And because we were so in over our heads and mm. had never come across this sort of work before, we just really had to trust each other and throw ourselves into it. And that just changed my whole view about what theatre can be. <laughs> and not question yourselves, no question, you mm. know, is what I'm doing right? Yes. That was that was the most important thing about that module for me is that all of the, our like perceptions and all of our preconceptions about everything in the world mm. were taken away in the first week of doing that module. <laughs> so then we didn't have anything to check ourselves on. We didn't have that sub like mm. the kind of self conscious thoughts that sometimes you would have when you go in into a production and you really don't want to be letting the team down. Mm. But it was just like, that was gone. Everything was out the window. So it was really liberating. And the, the Kosovo as a whole, how do you think it prepared you for a career in the arts outside of uni? Um, I think the course overall, it's exactly how I've sort of demonstrated with that one module. Um, it it just prepares us to be all around creative people mm. um it's very much an acting course and we did a lot of obviously we did a lot of acting training but um outside of all that it just i think it makes like it made me anyway more sort of aware of the other things that go on and the other avenues and it like helped me to trans translate those skills from acting on stage into my everyday life, which means they can be applied elsewhere, if that makes any sense. Can you unpack so, like, that a bit more? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so I'm trying to think of how to explain it. Um, 
we were always encouraged to um, muck in on the course, like with um, because there's a d design and production course that happens at Trinity as well, and we would always be involved in the get-ins and the get-outs. And when we did touring theatre, we did we took a production on tour in our third year. Um, we'd be responsible just as much so as the design and production um, students as at, at the get-ins and the get-outs. Yeah. Um, which meant, obviously, we had to learn as we went. And um, when we were done with a get-in, get we'd have 10 minutes and then we'd be on stage, yeah. which is absolutely mad. But it's, it's, just... it's kind of like what it would be in the yeah. real world. Like, after, if you've got a small company, which you would have with, like, mm -hmm. touring companies or touring TIE companies, it's getting yeah. to you used to what you would be experiencing in the real world after you graduate. Yeah, it really did like teach me about the other elements of putting on a production and like that specific experience with touring was absolutely invaluable. And I don't think I'd have been able to come, come out of any other sort of training and go into a job where I'm not necessarily acting mm. but I'm still involved in theatre because of the ways, even with the written work, the ways we had to think about what goes into a production mm. and the arts as a whole, um, it just it encouraged me to think beyond performing. Is that how you kind of got interested in producing? Yeah, yes. Um, so I basically um, accidentally sort of took on that role when we decided to take a play to the Edinburgh Fringe once we graduated. Um, and I sort of halfway through realised that that's almost what I was doing. Was that, um, was that Hannah's play? Small play? Yes. Hi. So, the, the Single Tree. Um, so we took that to Edinburgh and I realised that I was doing it and that, that I enjoyed it. And I just kind of bumbled around for a while thinking, hmm, this is interesting, you know? And then the opportunity mm. came up at the other room to apply to yeah. be the trainee producer. And I hadn't seen an opportunity like that elsewhere before, where like they, they'd invite you to come in and be part of the mm. company and learn on the job. And I was like, I can't not apply to do this. <laughs> but um, I looked for a while, like I would always be interested in yeah. opportunities for producing and learning how to do it. And it just never came across anything, and then that came up and it was absolutely perfect. And in terms of the experience of producing a single tree at Edinburgh, I guess it was pretty frantic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it was completely frantic, that's exactly right. It was learning as you go, but, I mean, we embraced it. There were um, seven of us in total, hmm. and, yeah, we just threw ourselves into it and I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> in terms of like producing it and I even sort of tried my hand at making the poster you know just any little odds and ends that needed doing I just sort of happened to do them um, and yeah it was only then that really it occurred to me the role of a producer because it's not something I think it's something that lots of people kind of forget about I don't know, that might just be my experience. Especially in theatre, I think in film and telly, they've got a more prominent role. They've got more yeah. power. I think sometimes in film and TV, the producer has got more power than the director. Whereas in uh, theatre, am I right in thinking that the producer kind of makes everything happen, but the yeah, director exactly. has That's the how final say? Just make sure it runs as smoothly as it can and that everything gets done. Just make sure that everything's ticking over. Is it difficult sometimes to negotiate that balance of power between the director and the producer on a project? Um, yes, I, th I think it can be difficult in some circumstances. Um, I don't have uh, enough experience and I mean when I worked at the other room I collaborated with Sam um, Samantha Jones and that was never a difficult 
conversation not not one difficult conversation was had like (laughs) that sounds absolutely ridiculous but um she's the most empathetic and considerate and wonderful director and just generally lovely human being um so it was never it was never a power dynamic and it just it just works with me and her Mm. um Sometimes you find that creative relationship where just mm. everything you do kind of works and you don't necessarily know why, it just yeah. does. Yeah, it was one of those just magical things where we both happened to end up working at the other room at the same time as trainees and then all of a sudden it was like, wow, this, this is something, you know, like mm. this, is, this is working. Yeah. And um just um small can I talk about small side a bit? Um yeah, by Hannah. So yes. Hannah's talked quite a lot in the episode <laughs> that we did about the writing of the play. Um mm-hmm. and she said that she the only actor she had in mind to play the lead character. <laughs> was you. So how did it feel that someone had basically written a play for you? Oh my gosh, I mean, there's part of me, obviously, where that's the most wonderful thing in the world, you know, because it's like, but there's also a certain level of pressure where if, if I don't pull this off, then that, that really says something about me as a performer and as a creative, because this was legitimately written for me and she'll say it and she'll tell everyone that it was written for me. So um, if if I can't pull it off, then, you know, what does that say about me? Um, but it's honestly, it's so freeing as well because I could really, I could feel, like she's such a good writer and I could feel all of the words in my body. Uh, like it really felt like I had been taken into consideration when this was being written, which is, yeah. it's, it's mad because I share a lot of similarities with the character, but we're also vastly different. And, but it just really felt like the words resonated within my body. I don't know how, uh, how else to explain that, mm. but um, that's how it felt. Like an immediate connection when, when you read it, even the first time you read it, what was that like? Oh, let me try and remember. Um, what, yeah. was, was there like an initial kind of reaction to it, like an automatic reaction to it when you read it for the first time? Yes, when I, so when I read it aloud for the first time, that's, that's exactly what happened. And the energy sort of in the room was immediately so exciting and I'd only done about four lines. <laughs> but we were just so ecstatic because it did feel like, it felt like the character's words were sort of taking over everything else, like they were the most important thing in the room, mm. they suddenly became, yeah, they just elevated everything and then we were just so excited for like so long because it just, it all felt right. Mm. And what was the development of the piece like, um, improving it and picking um, it up? So, so it happened over quite a long period of time on and off. Um, I can't remember exactly when we started, but I think it would have been in 2018. Um, and we did a scratch performance of it at the WMC for their performances for the Curious season. Um, and then after that, Hannah continued writing the play as part of her masters. And um, I would come in and um, read for that as well, for the assessments. Mm-hmm. So like, we kind of had the first half of the play and we felt like we knew her very well and then Hannah would just be like here's the next 10 minutes and we'd be like oh my gosh <laughs> what <laughs> everything's changed you know so then when it come when it came to doing the full production um last year it was yeah it was really it was it's just so good I can't explain how amazing it is to be involved like to be there Mm. and just watch this character's story unfold and, and to be, care about her so much. And to be there from the beginning, it's not as if Hannah wrote a play. 
and you were cast, and you rehearsed it, and you performed it. You were there at the conception of that character, uh-huh. right to the end. Uh, to go on that journey with the play and with Hannah must have been a lovely experience. Yeah, yeah, it's like nothing. I, oh, I care so much. I care so much about this character, and it really makes me. It makes me really excited for like what the future of that project can be as well. Because when I, when I do when we do the play, um, it really feels like this this story and this this person is taking agency over their own life even though yeah. it's fiction fictional it it feels like she really needs to be center stage <laughs> you know <laughs> she like she really does have some things to say and it's amazing to experience her interacting with the audience and going through this self-discovery journey yeah i, ca- I just i care so much about her <laughs> she feels almost real <laughs> uh, and for hannah to write with that authenticity as well Oh, it's, it's honestly, it's, yeah, it amazes me. Um, it's an absolute gift. I'm going to move on, if it's all right. Yeah. Um, so, you, we've briefly talked about this, but you were training producer at the other room between yes. 2018 and 2019. What was that experience like? Firstly, absolutely fantastic. Um, I never dreamed that I would get it when I applied. And I, I was a big fan of The Other Room and the work that they produce and the things that they do beforehand. Mm-hmm. So I was suddenly like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I work here. And it was very surreal for, <laughs> for the first few weeks. And um, it was just the, like, the best learning experience to... Um, really feel that I was supported and guided by everyone but I was also um I also felt respected because I was given I was given responsibility just because I was a training producer didn't mean that they had to watch me all the time I was supported whilst given a certain level of responsibility and ownership over the work that I was doing for the company and I like I don't think I speak to many people where they've experienced traineeships that have worked mm. so efficiently. Like it seems to be quite a rare thing to have that. Um, and I know because it's a small company, if it feels very much like everyone's friends, and it's, it was just it le- was life changing. <laughs> Do you feel you learnt a lot working with people like Dan and George mm-hmm. um, from their experience? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it was just wonderful to be able to watch them do their work as well. Mm. Um, so if I was around when, um, you know, when I I was done and they were still working, or but to just witness witness what they were doing mm. and just take it all in, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's just as valuable as my experience in contributing and the work that I did um, and to be surrounded by people who are so passionate about what they do as well I think that really helps um, when like when you get together in a creative team and everyone's as passionate as you are about it um, that tends to change the experience and you produced Crave or you were there Crave so what was yeah. that like um that was actually a dream um because i'm i'm such i'm such a huge fan of sarah kane's work and the the first time i ever read any of her work i i read read the whole thing i read the complete works in one sitting wow it was quite it was quite a time not just <laughs> um, one play all of no, them I, I read the complete works i've got it right here by, by my bed <laughs> Um, so yeah, I was a big fan, and when Sam said to me, 
she we were I can't remember what the other play was that we were considering doing but it was kind of one or two and like mm. the rest of the team were sort of were also involved in the discussions about like the pros and cons of each play and we just sat next to each other one night I remember this and we were in the bar in Porters and we sat next to each other and we looked at each other and she went yes I think it's got to be crave and I said I'm so glad you said that because I, I agree <laughs> what, what, what was the other play you were considering I'll have to message you later. I can't remember what it was that we were considering. But it was, they were both really viable options. Mm. There was just something that felt right about doing that Sarah Kane. And I know the other room opened with uh, Blasted by Sarah Kane. So it just felt timely that their first um, trainees um, directed and produced this production of Crave, which is such a fantastic play. Um, And that was... That was kind of the the highlight of my time there because, yeah, we got to work on this play and we had a wonderful team and wonderful actors and it all went by so quickly. But what what were the yeah, challenges of producing that play? Um, I think it's it's very challenging in the sense of um, it's very difficult content. Um, so, and I feel as well that it's, that every reader and every, like, audience member of a play, like Crave and, um, and any of Kane's work will take away very different things to each other, so it's Mm. not, it's not something that there were ever any answers, you can't, you can't say there's an answer to any of Sarah Kane's work, there's never a, a definite okay, this is what it means, you know? So in, um, in a normal play, you might go through it and find questions and then go through it again and try and answer them. You can't yeah. really do that with Sarah Kane, can you? Yeah, so I suppose it's true of any work, really, but it's especially true of um, the work of Sarah Kane. I, I don't think there's one person who, who's able to go, okay, I know exactly what this represents mm. and what everything means in this play. Um, so it was a real like journey of discovery of what that play meant to us as those specific people in that time, in, in that environment and what the play meant to us. So it was really empowering in that way in terms of it, of the collaboration. Mm. Yeah, it was special. Let, let me just get my notes. Yes. Um, and you were involved with We Are Still Here, which was the yeah. National Theatre Wales site-specific um, production which took place in the Steelworks, mm-hmm. in the Delworks. So what was your role with that? Um, so with that play, I was the local promoter, which is a role National Theatre Wales give to their... Um, their kind of sites, their site specific productions mm. where they go into different towns and different areas. Someone who's from there who knows the area to um, tell people about it. That was yeah. my job. I got to talk about theatre and stop people in their work and their jobs and tell them, you know, just tell everyone and spread spread the word and spread the um, marketing materials and just talk about it online and everything. Yeah, it was fab. Did you feel that people wanted to engage with it? Mostly. That is a very complicated question. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was um, it was difficult sometimes, as you can imagine, in terms of um, approaching just approaching people here in Port Talbot and asking them if they if they've heard about this play that's happening and trying to chat to them about mm. it. Um, I think there were a lot of times where people just, they just automatically assume that theatre isn't for them. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think I was coming up against that sort of attitude a lot of the time, um, where there's there's a big um, appetite for theatre here in Port Albert, um, but there's also people who feel, who are are completely ostracised from theatre and from the arts and have already decided that that's 
that's just something that's so far away from who they are and what they want to do um, that it almost felt alien like I almost felt out of place sitting mm. in I, I sat in the town centre and in the shops in Tesco's and in Morrison's mm. with my um, with my leaflets and the pictures and willing to, t- to chat to people about it and there were so many people who did but there were also well as you do in that kind of work people are busy people are you know need to do things but um pe- people would say to me what is it a play oh no thank you you know do you think there was that perception of theater is just musical theaters and uh, yes yeah exactly and you know what was really interesting is when i mentioned that it wasn't happening in a theater that it was happening in um the old warehouse that's when people really started to listen so i learned very quickly to bring that up at the beginning because people would be like oh (laughs) you know what what do you think can be done uh, to kind of engage more people in theater to show people that theater doesn't just have to be Shakespeare at the RSC mm. or an old play at the National. The theatre can be accessible to everyone, yeah. really. What more can we do as, as artists? So that's something that um, I ask myself all the time, you know, and I never really um, come to any conclusions, and I try to read about it, and people are having this conversation a lot. And I just think, like, that project in particular was doing the right thing and coming coming to this community. And um, I think it's really clever that they they have the local promoter for them as well because mm. then you've got a spokesperson for the performance that is from the community. Um, it's just really difficult, isn't it? Because you can't, you can't mm. make people come and you can't tell people they love it. Um, but I think it's about broadening the perceptions of what theatre is. And yeah. do you think with that show, there was a case of this big national theatre company who's coming down from Cardiff to Patalba mm-hmm. and they're putting this show here, it's going to be there mm-hmm. for two weeks, then it's going to go. It's not a theatre company from Ptalba putting the show and they claim to do it for a specific community. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's where it becomes so complicated, yeah. It's like, how do, how do I and how, how do we involve people where it, where it does, where it's actually theirs, mm. if that makes sense. Um, how do we get people to take ownership of work that is for them, but not made by them? Do you know? Mm-hmm. Is that what yeah. you're kind of trying to say? I know. It's so difficult. And there's no reason that people need to love theatre, is there? You know, if no. someone decides that they don't want to, that's, that's their right and that's their decision. But it's um, that thing of making it an option and kind of mm-hmm. widening the profile of it and kind of and proving that anyone can make it yeah. anyone can make it and Absolutely. it's so beneficial in so many ways and i think pub theaters do a really good job of kind of bridging mm-hmm. that gap between um it's a theater and you need to know what you're talking about before you even step in the room um because it's a pub yeah. <laughs> it's not and there's a room where that bit's the theater and it's chill, and you can carry a drink in, and it's a good night, you know? Yeah. I mean, we've got one pub theatre in the world that I know of, which is the other room. We could have a pub theatre in Neath, you know? Things of pubs yeah. in Neath. You could have a pub theatre in Starbuck. Like, not yeah, on the scene. Yeah, pub theatres? Exactly. You know what? I think we've solved it. I think the answer is pub theatres. It's always <laughs> alcoholias. Like, it's always... <laughs> but, um, and off the back of that, kind of, what opportunities do you think are there for actors who are working class who come from the background? Do you think there's the same route in as there is for maybe middle or upper, upper, middle or upper class actors? Yeah. 
got there. Well, I think uh, working class actors are already excluded from from the get go in terms of um, certain theatre schools that you have to pay for, your parents have to mm. pay for when you're a child, and then there are only certain drama schools that will offer you a bursary to go and audition. Um, and if you want to audition year after year, you have to fork out your own money for that, and that's not something that we have the capacity to do. Um, so even before we start to try and work professionally, it's already it's looking pretty pretty dim and pretty dull. I mean, us. if you can't even get into the audition room. Yeah, that's where we need to start, really. Um, because if we want to start seeing ourselves represented on TV and on stage, um, the the barrier of money is just it's it's gonna get in the way. Do you think quarters could be the answer for drama schools, especially that they have to take certain? Number? I know it's not ideal, but none yeah, of this is ideal. But it's maybe. Not ideal. Giving but it them would mean something, I think. But how do you how do you make that not feel tokenistic? Then? Exactly, it does every time. You know, it's such a difficult conversation. Um, all all I know is that drama schools need to be doing more, and in terms of in terms of money, it just doesn't seem like. It, it doesn't seem like it's about the craft anymore and it doesn't seem like mm. it's actually about making stuff. It just seems like it's about keeping the same people on our screens who yeah. we're used to and um, making work that pleases everyone. That's the that's the kicker for me, I think. Which it's, is kind of white, middle class, male, mm -hmm. non-disabled, yes, straight. The idea that we have, like dominating ideology yeah. in in our culture and in the art scene in Wales and in the UK and elsewhere is that work that isn't by cis, straight, white men, like work that's led by people who um, are neurodivergent or who are disabled, who are people of colour, who are queer, yeah. is work that is for audiences that share the ways they are oppressed with the um, mm. with the creators of the work and the idea that normal work for normal people and for our general audience yeah. is this this middle class white man but why um, should there be any difference between exactly and the idea that we need to continue to program this work and to continue to make films um, about these people because otherwise we're upsetting mm most people and it's kind of like but but by the same by the same account you know if you're going to commission me as a writer you're not going to commission me because i have cerebral palsy you're going to commission me because i'm a bloody good writer and if you are commissioning me because of that or if i'm casting you because mm -hmm of any protected characteristics and not because of what you can do in the room. There's something wrong there, I think. Mm hmm But... 100%. But then you go down the rabbit hole of should... <laughs> yeah. Should... Should LGBT actors play all LGBT roles? Should all disabled characters be played by disabled actors? And that's the kind of, like, response to that. And it is a bit of a minefield. But how, how do you think we kind of break it down and simplify it for all those people who think that it's a bit kind of left-wing, liberal, you know what I mean? Yeah, how do we have this conversation with people who just don't understand? Yeah. I don't know, I'm still trying to work that out. I think <laughs> I don't talk about a lot of this stuff um, in my life if I'm talking about it with the wrong people which is part of the problem like mm. I'll have these conversations with people who I know are going to understand and people who where I'm like I know I'm gonna be safe <laughs> um, but when it comes to speaking up about these things 
in other settings I just kind of shut down like my body doesn't let me articulate what I need to articulate <laughs> do you think it's about like coming to down there as quote-unquote marginalized people and you know getting in those rooms with artistic directors of places like the Sherman and National Theatre Wales and having those bigger conversations with individuals. Because it's about systemic and institutionalised change rather than just change on a personal level. Because you could go and form a theatre company but you wouldn't like necessarily get work on or get work in stuff at the WMC or Chloe mm-hmm. because they How much different we see doing that. Mm. Uh, and just yeah. who is running these theatres, you know? Who is mm-hmm. running yeah. these theatres? I know we've got Tamara Harvey at Chloe and we've got but I don't want to criticise Joe Murphy because I don't know him. Mm-hmm. But he's a white man, and you know I I really don't want to criticise him because mm-hmm. he's commissioned loads of new plays by people I like, like Tracy Harris and people like yeah. that. But you know, it's difficult, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's at this point that I think, you know, everyone's a bit fed up and it's kind of time for the conversations happening behind closed doors to stop happening behind closed doors. Yeah. And, <laughs> and let people in the room, let people in your organisation. Well, maybe they'll be able to let people in the room when lockdown ends. Lockdown lifts. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. Just the lockdown. Oh, it's all lockdown, yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to kind of, before we finish, ask you briefly yeah. about what your process is when you're preparing a character in a play. Do you it's, have a process? I think it changes production to production, mm. um, depending on what's required from the director, what the style is. Um, mm. My process as a human being, mm. when encountering other human beings, which is all this is for people on face, is um, to just try to get it, you know, to just mm. try to understand. And I just, I don't know, I like to sit a lot and I like to sit in the emotions and I like to sit in the circumstances. I just like to let myself feel it. It's al- almost like opening some sort of barrier that I would usually have up in ordinary life to kind of let myself. Do you kind of use emotions that you felt in the past to connect to that particular scene or what the character is going through at that particular point? Yeah, I think we all have to. We can only draw on our own experience. Um, But there... There's a, there is a limit to that as well mm. because you don't want to do um, stories injustices, especially like if you're doing verbatim theatre, um, or yeah, putting real stories on stage and with any character. I suppose it's it's just about using like a radical level of empathy and imagination, I guess. And yeah. I don't, I don't have any answers here. I, I always have to be off book before I even step in the rehearsal room. Right. Because otherwise I just feel that there's something in the way. Um, do you feel like you're yeah. just re- reading lines if you've got script in your hand? Yes, I'm not very good at script in hand, unfortunately. I'm not selling myself mm. here, but um, it does just feel like something that's in the way. Like a barrier. Mm-hmm, yeah. We'll edit that bit out so that casting directors and other directors <laughs> don't find out. <laughs> you should hire me. Um, I'm a queer woman. Get that check tech box. I mean, edit that out <laughs> And finally, um, what advice would you give someone who's think, maybe thinking about they fancy a career 
and the creators in Wales and they're just starting out, what advice would you give them? Okay, here's the deal. <laughs> um, I know that you're just starting out and you might have a lot to learn. I'm talking to my younger version of myself, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, that's um, cool. And you feel like everyone else knows what they're doing, but um, no one knows. No one has all of the answers. Take everything with a pinch of salt because mm. you are going to be able to discover what works for you in terms of this industry and how you want to work and really like really learn from those around you and those who are above you and those who have had wonderful careers so far but make sure not to idolize any one way of thinking as the right way of thinking because we're all just trying to make work and live life and no one really knows I, I, <laughs> yeah understanding. I think it's about having an open mind about what you want to be as well it's like not yeah, saying I only want to do one type of work. Just try and be. That's what I've learned from these podcasts. To yeah, be as diverse. Try, yeah. Yeah. Try everything. Try everything. Things that scare you, especially try mm. those. Don't put yourself in any danger. But <laughs> <laughs> um, if something terrifies you, that's probably a good thing. Mm. Thanks, Yaz. It's been great talking to you. Thank you um, for having me. It's been lovely chatting. I'm going to do the outro bit now, which I also get to do, but um, <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode. This is it, by the way. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With, with me, Kim Gerald. We look forward to catching you for the next episode. Not sure who the guest is going to be yet, but um, I'll see you then. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.